Good morning and welcome. In the name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I have tissues in my pocket because today is a good day. We as a church rejoice that a family in that second row there has returned in God's goodness and God's kindness. It's a fat wad, so it could be a long service, so forgive me, but God is good. And what a day to do it on. We come around his table later on to worship our great God in that resurrection service. We get to sing praises. Truly, the Lord's day is a day of delights. God is good. This morning, some family matters and some uh, announcements to make. Next Lord's Day, we plan to have our fellowship lunch downstairs. It's a time of food and conversation, and you get to dabble in other people's cuisines. Sometimes good, sometimes you don't know what it is, but it's always good to fellowship with God's people. You'll find there in the back of your bulletin what each family is to bring in relation to their surname. And then one other announcement, next Lord's Day evening, we have the awesome privilege of having Pastor Steve Meister come amongst us from Emmanuel. He'll be coming up in the evening to preach God's word to us. You have some other uh, dates there in the bottom. But these are all the announcements, and we make them subject, of course, to the Lord's will. Let's take a few moments now, and let's contemplate on what we're about, and that is to worship the one true and living God. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 100. Psalm 100, where the psalmist writes this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. This is God's holy word. As his people, let us now return praise to him as we join in singing hymn number one, All People That on Earth Do Dwell. Number one, if you're able, please stand to sing.
will, please remain standing and turn to hymn number 453. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. 453. Please be seated. And now let us come to God in prayer. Let us all pray.
Our loving eternal Heavenly Father, we come into your presence on this your day with joy in our hearts, with anticipation, with that desire to come and to worship you, the great God that you are. Lord, we come into your presence knowing that you indeed are the head of the church. And even this day, we can gather together knowing that you indeed are a living God, a God who hears the cries of his people, a God indeed who is good, a God who is that three times holy God, a God who is merciful and a God full of grace. And it's into your presence this morning that we come, a God who indeed is unchanging, a God who is perfect. God, indeed, who is our comfort in our time of need. And this morning we come into your presence needing your help on this your day because you're also a God who is a just God, a God who can have nothing to do with sin. And this morning we come as a sinful people. We come with sins of pride, of lust, of anger, of malice, even at times of trying to have our own way when we don't want to submit to others, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for these things. We ask that you would help our eyes and our ears in these days to see and to hear the things that are contrary to your word and to you, and that we, O oh Lord, would stand firm. Forgive us at times when we've kept our mouths shut, when, O oh Lord, we have, as it were, put our heads down and turned the other way. Lord, forgive us. Lord, in these days we ask that you would show us our sin, that we would reflect it and that we would, O oh Lord, as it were, dig it out by the very root. You know, as we walk along this pilgrim path, that it is difficult, it is hard. And, O oh Lord, there are times we can hold on to those darling sins, as the Puritans would call it. Lord, we ask in these days that we would remove them all that we wouldn't see our need of confessing our sins in these days. And it is even as we are reminded of through the prophet Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Lord, those of us who are found in Christ this morning are indeed pardoned. Not anything to do with ourselves, not clothed in our own righteousness, but clothed in and through that shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, remind us of these things in these days. Even when things may seem difficult and hard, show us yourself. Even as we read your word and as we delve into it, O oh Lord, we pray that we would be mining these things out, that we would be equipped for this task that is before us. O oh Lord, this morning we come with thankfulness in our hearts. Even as we've already said, we do thank you for little baby Charlotte amongst us. Lord, for 13 odd months we've been praying for this little one. And now, O oh Lord, we see her here with us. And you're a God who has heard the prayers and cries of the saints. And O oh Lord, this morning we return you all the praise. You indeed are a good God. A God who loves us more than even we deserve. A God who shows us mercy and grace more than we deserve. And yet this morning we can come with exuberance in our hearts because here is the manifestation of prayers answered. 
Lord, there were times when we didn't know, but you did. And you've hedged this little one in. You've preserved her little life. And we pray that she would continue to grow and to flourish. Lord, how good it is to see the rest of the family here and for taking care of them and looking after them. We do pray for Mark and Nicole especially this morning. We ask as they adapt back to some sort of normal life that you would aid and help them. Lord, we pray that their, their times in your word and prayer would be sweet, that their souls would be lifted up, that the congregation would also rally around them and, and, and meet them at the point of their need even in these days, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Lord, may it be that we would continue to pray on for this dear family and for this little one in particular. Lord, we do return you thanks for all of those doctors and nurses, those who give up time of vacation and relaxation to invest in this little one. We, we thank you for them. We do thank you for modern medicine and what it can do. Lord, we ask for those that perhaps know you not, that have looked after this little one and even seen the faith of Mark and Nicole, that even now they would wonder why. Why were they able to go through it? Oh Lord, we pray that you would draw alongside even a chaplain or, or some Christian person to come along near them and, and, and speak the gospel to them. And that there they would see the hope. And it's all through God. Lord, we do pray for our own church. We do thank you for it, for each member here, for each visitor in attendance. We pray that your hand would be continually upon it. Lord, we pray you would give us much peace and unity as a, as a fellowship here. We pray for the many things that happen. We do pray for the, the children's Sunday school in particular this morning. Lord, we do thank you for our teachers and, and those who serve alongside them to proclaim the truth of your word to these little ones. We ask, O oh Lord, that these, these lessons that go forth would not merely be an hour, as it were, for them wasted away. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be doing a dealing in these little ones' hearts. Lord, the teachers can teach and teach and teach. But unless you save, O oh Lord, then what hope have we? But we have hope. And that is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we ask, O oh Lord, save our children. Save them early in life. Save even those children who have sat downstairs and even in these seats and who are no longer with us. Those of our family members who have walked away from the faith. Lord, we beg of you this morning, show mercy. We even cry out for those parents who, who each and every day, no doubt, pray for the lost and their own children. We pray that you would continue to aid and help them. Give them that, that help that they need in these days to cry on more. And, O oh Lord, show mercy. Show us your power in these days. Show us your saving hand and save these little ones. Lord, we pray for our community around us, for those who know you not, even those adjacent to this building. Lord, we pray, may our singing, may the volume of our songs and our hearty amens and what we do here make them stop and wonder. And may it be, O oh Lord, that soon even some of them would darken our doors. Lord, we cry out for those who will bring forth your word this day. In churches that are close and near to us and those even farther afield, we pray that you would equip each of those men who bring forth your truth. Equip them. Help them. Give them courage in these days. Even when we see 
the wiles of the devil, as it were, being whipped up more and more, we pray that not only our pastors, but the members of each of those churches would have courage in these days and strong backbone to stand up for the truth that's in your word. And may it be, O Lord, this day that your name would be glorified not only in this place, but to the farthermost parts of the world. And may it be that you would receive all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise. Lord, we leave all these things before you and we ask them in and through your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles and let's turn in them to Mark chapter 12 for our consecutive reading this morning. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be reading together verses 28 through 37. If you're able, will you please rise and let's read God's word together. Mark 12, beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that. He is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Amen. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Before we open up God's word this morning, let's come and cry on to our great God. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we come into your presence again, and Lord, we come needing your help. We ask, O Lord, that you would send forth your Spirit in abundance this day, 
that, O Lord, as we open up a, a difficult and a hard passage, O Lord, that you would receive all of the glory. Lord, we pray that many eyes and ears would be open to Christ this very day. Lord, we pray that salvation would come to this house. That even as we look out and we see many who know you not, Lord, we ask, show mercy. We ask that you would be with both hearer and preacher alike. Help us, O Lord, to navigate carefully, skillfully, but also with joy in our hearts. Lord, we ask of you this day, show us Christ. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to our preaching and opening up of God's Word this morning as we find it in Mark chapter 5. Felt strange in my study this morning, turning over my Bible to a new chapter, having been in Mark 4 for so long. But we come here to Mark 5, and we're going to read together the first 20 verses. Again, give careful attention. This is the Word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gergesenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legions sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. It possessed no problems for the master of the sea. Peace. Be still. And it was. Jesus, right there and then, immediately calmed the sea. And he calmed his men in the midst of it. In this fifth chapter of Mark, Jesus now moves into what we may think is a new set of impossible situations. If you read Mark chapter 5 and all of its context, you would know that Jesus, as it were, goes from one bad thing to another. He encounters a man possessed by thousands of demons. This poor man, demon-possessed, is in an absolutely desperate situation. He, in and of himself, is unable to help himself. And we've read it there that many people came alongside him and tried to help him as well. But again, the people were also powerless to aid and help this man. After this event, if the Lord spares us, we will see Jesus deal with that diseased woman. And then that little girl who died. And all of these situations, as we read them, were hopeless from our perspective. From the human perspective, they were hopeless. Man on a boat about to drown. A woman diseased by blood. A little girl who had died. And what we've read off this morning, that demon-possessed man. Yet. Yet in all of these cases, yet in all of that we read in Scripture, and we can prove it this morning, that Christ is the master of them all. If that demon-possessed man were alive today, what would we do with him? We would send him to live in a mental institution, wouldn't we? If that diseased woman were to live today, what would we do? We'd send her to that terminally care ward. If that dead girl was to die today, where would she be sent? To the cemetery. But this passage teaches us and the whole of Scripture itself that whatever Jesus is faced with, should it be demons, disease, or death, Jesus is able to handle each and every situation. This case of this man and the others that we read of are hopeless. Everyone around him has done everything to help him, but no one can reach him. He lived his life in isolation. He lived his life in desperation. And he lived his life in devastation. Look at who his friends were. Dead people. 
when Jesus Christ put his foot off that boat that day, that man's life changed forever. When Jesus walked into this hopeless case, he changed everything. And as we watch the Lord, as we unpack this this morning, keep in mind Christ. We need to keep in mind that he, that is our Lord and Savior, moves with us and he is with us in that same power. He can break the chains that bind us and he can set us free. And if you are this morning found in Christ, that is you. I could close my Bible and walk out the door. Christ is our everything. That is why we have this table this morning and such a fitting passage to think about our Savior. So this morning, as we come to examine the case of this man named Legion, let's open up these three points together. Let's talk about a savage man. Let's talk about a saving man. And then thirdly, let's talk about a salvation miracle. What is this man's problem? This passage opens up with a description of a man who is firmly held in Satan's grasp. The devil is his master. And this man indeed is in, an, in, a, is in an estate of utter hopelessness and absolute helplessness. We are told that he has an unclean spirit. Bad enough as one may be. But then we find out that he's home to many, many more. It says that he is possessed by a legion in verse 9. In those days, a legion in the Roman army could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 men. And this man was a host for thousands of evil spirits. In verse 13, we're told that when those demons come out of the man... They enter into a herd of swine that numbered around 2,000 animals. This poor, pitiful individual was totally under the control of the devil. And I would remind you this morning that this man's situation is no different from, ever, from all that are lost outside of the kingdom of Christ this morning. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived, in the other passions of our flesh, carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. No one wants to hear that today, do they? John 8 says this. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of the father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This man that we read of in Mark 5, many have pitied him. But have we pitied the lost to see him? Have we pitied those who follow in disobedience? Those who are lost this morning. Those who are without without sight of Christ. They need help. You see, two words describe this man's condition. Those words are tomb and chains. Remember when we're going through Psalm 119 to slow down and and to contemplate on on different words. Well, here they are. Tombs and chains. They reveal that this man is dwelling amongst the dead. The demons, those who are within him, controlled him and drove him away from the living. And he spent his time where? With the dead. You've got to take yourself back, not to our graveyards. Take yourself back to those days. When people usually weren't buried in grounds, they were buried in tombs. And they were carved into the hillside. And the bodies would be placed in there. That is where that man lived. Amongst the dead. Verse 4, it tells us that, that people around him tried their best to restrain him. And they tried to bind him up with, with chains and with fetters. I like the old word fetter. That would have been attached to his feet. And those chains would have been bound to his hands and around his arms and all of his body. But what happened? He broke them. These man-made devices could not hold this man. It was as if he just went, And as we look at this poor man, as we think of him in this terrible situation, think of the lost around us. They are trapped in the same state of pitiful depravity. The sin that possesses the heart of the lost sinner, what does it do? It drives him to spend his days and waste his years with those who are also dead. Those who are lost in sin have no desire to be around the living. All they care about is death and the works of deadness is all that is in their mind. Those that are lost hate the things that pertain to life. They hate the things that pertain to the light. They hate everything that has to do with God, His work, and His Word. They shun the light. They shun the very things of God. They shun those who know God. Believer, why do you think it's really difficult to get unsaved people through those doors? 
It may be they don't understand me at the front with my Irish accent. Maybe they don't like the color of our chairs. No. They want nothing to do with the light. They would prefer rather to live their lives in that relentless, merciless grip of death and darkness. But doesn't man have his way of seeking to conquer and cure the problems that plague humanity? Think of the world that we live in. Man builds jails and prisons and institutions and asylums to hold those who manifest the outward signs of inward death. Man promotes pills and potions and psychology as the answer to man's dilemma. The problem with man's efforts to cure his own depravity is that man's efforts only treat the symptoms. What was the man's condition? Sin. He was a sinner. If man is ever going to get the help that he needs, he needs it not from man's efforts, but from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers, there are people outside those doors perishing in their sins. And do we even give a monkey's, if I can say that reverently? Do we care? Or do we just go about our little life as it is? We live in each of our own little bubbles. We go to our work and we come home. We maybe see some family. We keep our mouths shut. We come to church and yes, we can have great conversations together. But are we having the conversations that truly matter? And that is to the lost of this world. As I read this passage and as I wrote these notes, I had to seek God's forgiveness. Do I, a shepherd of sheep, a shepherd who proclaims the word of God, care for the lost? Do I? I had to ask God to forgive me. There are people who will end up in hell. And we have an antidote. We have Christ. And what do we do with him? Do we hide him? Do we show him to others when it suits us? Brothers and sisters, we need to examine our own hearts this morning. And I hope that you examine mine, and I hope that I examine yours. Because we need one another. We have blind spots. We need to draw alongside one another and honestly speak to one another in these days. Do we actually get together and pray for the lost? Do we go out and seek those who know not Christ? We need to look at our hearts this morning. When when we find a reason for avoiding the light, there's a problem. 
When we can't sit through the preaching of a service, we have a problem. When we find a reason to avoid the house of God, we have a problem. When we find ourselves longing for the things of this world more than the things of heaven, we have a problem and we need to admit it and seek help for it. Ask yourselves this morning, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure this morning? Is it in that little plastic card with a nice little chip in it? Is it a set of keys that open up many buildings and houses? It should be Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be honest in these days. Because as I read in Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Perhaps we need to ask the Lord to forgive us. He will pardon us. Perhaps some of us need to be drawn alongside and encouraged in these things. Then do it. Because there are men like this man out through those doors, lost and headed to hell. Can you imagine the terror that this man caused? He's living amongst dead people. He's naked. He runs around like a wild man day and night. He cuts himself with rocks. His body is covered with blood and scars. He's filthy. He's smelly. He's terrifying to all who see him. He screams and he yells in his torment. And Christ didn't turn up his nose at him and say, nah. He put one foot in front of the other and he approached that man. Whether you're lost and bound in sin or even as a believer, we don't need a pill, we don't need psychiatrists, we don't need priests and everything else, we don't need a 12-step program. What we need is the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. In all of his glory, he is the antidote for the poison of sin. He is the cure for your condition. He is the solution for your problem. Such as this man's desperate, wretched condition, it's horrible, but yet that could be laid over thousands and billions of people this day. There are people in this very room right now who are in the same condition as that man. Yes, they may not be naked. And yes, they may not cut themselves. And yes, they may not be filthy and all the rest. But they're sinners. And they need help of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need someone far more powerful than they are, than we are to set them free. 
There is only one place where they can have help that they need. And the text tells us his name is Jesus. Secondly, let's talk about a saving man. Everyone, everyone in that region feared this man. They fled in terror when he came near. They trembled in their houses at the sound of his shrieks and his torment. Parents would tell their children to be wary of that crazy man that lives up in that tomb up in the cemetery. And everyone would avoid this man. Everyone but Jesus Christ. Christ didn't avoid him. Christ made a special trip across the sea, braving a storm with his disciples because he wanted to deliver this man from the grip of Satan. Look back at verse chapter 4. On that, sorry, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, what does he say? Let us go across to the other side. Did Christ know what was going to happen? Yep. And he said with confidence, let us go across to the other side. Everyone else feared and avoided and despised this man, yet Jesus had compassion upon him. Jesus cared about the condition he was in, and Jesus did something about it. This man wasn't even a Jew, he was a Gentile, and still the Lord reached out to him. This morning are we thankful as as God's people for the boundless love and endless compassion of the Savior. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Why do you think we sing hymns that go with what we're teaching? That this week, when perhaps you're feeling... And perhaps you're, you're, you're beaten down. Remember the hymns that you sing on the Lord's Day. Go get your bulletin. Look them up. The deep, deep love of Jesus. There are no helpless cases with Christ. We, as humans, as fickle people, at times can think, ah, they're too far gone. They're a lost cause. And at times we wonder, will they ever be saved? Shame on us. Absolute shame on us. Look around this very room this morning. Look who you worship God with. Everyone has their own story. But those who are found in Christ remember that time when they were outside of it. Walking in the darkness rather than the light. And Christ saved them. Perhaps if we went back 10, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years to that day, and we went a few days before it, would we think in our minds, there's no way God can save that person. Here you are this morning. You're here and you're saved because of the Savior who had compassion on you. He loved you in spite of your sins. He came to where you were to deliver you from that bondage that gripped your heart and he gripped your life. Your life. 
Christ loved you enough that he died on that cross and he loved you enough to set you free. It's right there this morning. No one is beyond the compassionate touch of the master. Not even Zacchaeus in the tree. Not Saul of Tarsus with his agenda of hate and destruction. Not even that Ethiopian eunuch with his religion, religious confusion. And not even you with your baggage this morning, whoever you may be. Christ is able to save you. I ask you this morning, what hinders you? What hinders you? Jesus sees people with those that different set of eyes than we do. We see their sins and he, he sees what he can make of their lives. I think back to even my old church back home in Macrafelt. And I'll never forget these three lines that a man spoke one time. We see a drunk. He sees a deacon. We see a drug addict. He sees a preacher. We see a harlot. He sees a Sunday school teacher. That is how lives are changed with Christ. That is how he changed your life. I prayed this morning for those who have children who are unsaved. Even those who sit here and those who no longer do. Think of your own family members. Think of those who do not Christ. Christ can save them. We may think that some of our family members may be hopeless situations. I rebuke you lovingly. There are no hopeless situations with Christ. Give Jesus your Simon Peter, that cursing fisherman. And what does he do? He turns him into a mighty preacher. Give Jesus your Saul. That one who persecuted the church. That one who killed many for the, because they were believers. What does he do? He gives us back Paul. That militant missionary apostle. This morning I asked some of you. What hinders you from knowing Christ? It's amazing what Jesus can do when a life is placed into his hands. Think of your own life. Think of the transformation that happened. You maybe weren't that list of everything that this man was. But some may not be far off it. And here you are this morning worshiping a great God, our great God. This man who ran from everyone else 
and destroyed everything else around him, what does he do? He runs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The demons that drove this man away from all human relationship, he now stands or he now kneels at the feet of Jesus. That is where, sinner, you need to be this morning. Running, running to the Savior. This morning I urge you, do not delay. Do not wait. Jesus is the master even of demons. He is the master of sin. And that gives us what today? Hope. It often looks in our standpoint that the devil is walking off with the victory. Dear saint of God, remember you're on the winning side. Christ is the victor. When he cried out, it is finished. Those of us in Christ this morning, we've won. Live your life like it. Think of the one who bled and died on your behalf and who gained the victory on, for you. Christ is the winner. Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we, we, a bunch of people like us, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of people that you look at each other and you go, man alive, what's, what's going on? But a bunch that are united in Christ for what? For heaven and home. That's our hope this morning. You see, every human effort had failed to deliver this poor man from his bondage. Everything that he tried to help and re-grip things and do everything else, useless. One word from Jesus and this man is free. Man can try his religious works. You may sit here this morning and think, well, I'm sitting in these nice seats Surely that's enough? No, it's not. Man can try all many different pills and potions and programs and practices. But not one of those will save a single soul from hell. Only Christ will. There is one solution to the problem of sin. And his name is Christ. There is one hope. For the fallen soul and his name is Jesus. There's one hope for those who are trapped in a life of sin. And his name is Jesus. One word from him and death is swallowed up in life. One word from him and darkness is driven away by the light. One word from him and Satan loses his grip on the lost soul. One word from him and sin loses its power to control the sinner. One word from him and the captive is set free. One word from him and sin is forgiven forever. One word from him and a life is changed forever. And one word from him and a son of Adam becomes a son of God. That this morning is your savior. But thirdly, we need to look about this miracle that happened. Because it is. This man was changed. 
He didn't remain the same. He changed. When those pigs ran down that mountain and ran into that water, they drowned. I didn't know this until I looked it up in a few commentaries, and I thought the first guy was like way off until I read a few more. But I didn't realize that pigs can't swim. People may think pigs can fly. Well, they can't. And I can tell you this morning, they can't swim either. Their legs are so short that they can't paddle. And that's exactly where those demons were put into. Because it was over. There could be no thought of, well, maybe those pigs swam across to the other side and got out. No, those pigs died. They ran down that mountain. And they were gone forever. And the servants who were tending that herd went down to the, to the, the town and they told their masters what had happened. The townsfolk came to see for themselves and when they arrived they heard all the details that, that this man had changed. Jesus changed him. He's no, no longer running around crying and cutting himself. Now he's calm and seated beside Jesus. And that's what he does for us too. There should be that change in our lives. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, in which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, there should be a change in our lives. Verse 15, he's even got clothes on. If we needed further proof, this man here is now fully changed. But isn't that what God does? Changes the heart of a man. And then his outward changes as well. Verse 15, Jesus calmed him. He's in his right mind. Where there's been all this turmoil and agitation, there is now that perfect peace. He's been changed spiritually. He's been changed physically. And he's been changed mentally. That's what Christ can do in your life this morning. Jesus started with that man's real problem. His heart. He didn't tell him to go get his clothes on. He didn't tell him to just quiet and down. He didn't tell him to stop cutting himself. No. He changed his heart. This morning, those of us who are believers, it's what he did for us. He took that heart of stone. Was cold and did not like the light. And he gave us a new heart, a heart that loves him, a heart that wants to come and worship him. But this man was also committed. The people of that region were afraid. 
They were angry too. Can you imagine in those days as a farmer if you had just lost 2,000 pigs? That's a lot of bacon. Think about it. That was these people's livelihoods. And now it was gone. And what do they do? They demand that he leaves. For all, for these people, all that spiritual power was simply too much. They may have been able to handle a little bit of preaching here or a little bit of preaching over there, but when Jesus started changing lives and costing them money and costing them their livelihood, they wanted nothing to do with him. And they drove him away. But there are multitudes around us today who are just like that. Give them a little Sunday morning service and, oh, they're satisfied. A few might even come back on a Sunday night if they have an evening service. Some may even come to prayer meeting. But don't ask them to do any more than that. Don't ask them to give or to witness or to pray or to come or to do anything more than what they're doing right now. Is that us this morning? When I come to a place in my life when I'm satisfied, I have a problem. When I come to a place where I cannot sit through the preaching of a service, I have a problem. When I refuse to give Jesus a little more because it will interfere with my life and my routine, I have a problem. Most folks want just enough. Just enough Jesus to make them feel good and to keep them out of hell. Jesus isn't a good luck charm. Jesus is life-changing. Jesus is that eternity-altering Savior. He wants more than just a few hours a week. He wants everything you have and everything you are to be laid on that altar of surrender. Parents, our children watch us. And at times they repeat things back and you go, but they watch us. And they see how important worship is to us. They see how important our time of reading and praying is. They see how serious we take the things of God. Or perhaps they don't. When we tell the Lord by our actions that we are satisfied and we do not want any more, be aware. Be very careful. Look at the contrast here. These town people wanted Jesus to leave. 
The man who has just been saved wants to jump in that boat and spend the rest of his days with the one who healed him. This morning I ask you, where do you stand? Are you satisfied by what you do and give for the sake of Christ? Or could we do more? Should we be like that man? Seeing what Christ has done for us. And as best as we can give everything for him and his kingdom. We should love him with an undying love. We should be in his house as often as we can. We should be in his word and we should be with his people as much as is humanly possible. Wherever Jesus is, that is where our hearts and where we should want to be as well. I ask you this morning, are you cold to these things? Then you've come the right Sunday. Our Savior bled and died for us. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was spat upon. He was nailed to a tree and mocked. And that crown of thorns on his head and his side pierced. He died for you. What will you do for him? Will you give him the least of what you've got? Will you give him the least of your time? Will you give him the least of your energy? Will you give him the least of everything? We should give him everything that we have. Everything. And as we do that, we're reminded of what it ends up with. Jesus commands this man to do something. Go. Go and take what I have done and tell others. We're command, we as believers also this morning are commanded to do what the Lord has told this man to do. We are commanded to share the gospel with those who know not the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 16, he says, Jesus says this, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You've got that great commission in Matthew 28. We are to go to a lost world and tell them the same that this man was commanded to tell. The great things. The great things that God has done for us. And to have compassion on them. Perhaps we'll walk up to someone and they might be smelly. Perhaps they're wearing clothes that are really old. Maybe they haven't brushed their hair in months. Maybe they don't have somewhere to call home. What will we do? What will we do? 
Christ has commanded us to go and to take the good news. This morning I ask you, what is your spiritual condition before God? This morning, can you remember a day when the Lord of glory came to you and he radically changed your life? Then praise him for it. Not with the least, but with everything. Praise him for it. Return him thanks for it. This morning, if you know nothing of these things, then I urge you to come. Come to the Savior today. Come to the one, the only one who can save you from your sins. Young person, your parents cannot save you. I have said that numerous times and I will not stop saying it. Just because you sit in those seats doesn't mean you're getting a ticket to heaven. Just because you may have a Bible in your hand does not mean that you are a believer. This morning I urge you, examine yourself. Young person, don't live the lie of saying you are something you're not. Be honest before a holy God. Member of this church, perhaps you've fooled people for years. Perhaps today is a day of repentance. I say that because you will never regret it. If you are lost in the grip of sin today, Christ can set you free. This morning, do you need his touch? Do you need his compassion? Do you need his life-changing power? Then come. Come and obey the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come into your presence. Lord, after reading and expounding such a rich passage of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, man's mere words can never expound the fathom or the greatness of the saving power. And yet we ask, O Lord, today that some would know it. Some would know it for the first time. Even as we look out, our older teenagers, our own children, those who have sat under the gospel message week after week after week, have faithful parents who teach them it, who even have work colleagues who talk to them time after time, 
Lord, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. Lord, we leave them in your care. We pray that the seed that has been sown would not fall on bad ground. But, O Lord, it would fall on good ground. And that soon that seed would grow. Lord, we pray for those of us who are believers. Lord, help us in these days to examine our hearts. Help us to see our need of taking the good news of Christ further than just these four walls. Lord, even open our eyes to the great need of sin in our world today. We may ponder and think, well, we're so small. Yet we have a God who can do mighty things. And surely this passage this morning reminds us that you're a God who can tame the devil. Lord, reassure us of those things in these days. We pray, O oh Lord, that all of us this morning indeed would have heard of Christ. And now as we come around the table, O oh Lord, we, we ask that we would see as well. Lord, continue to encourage our hearts through the rest of this day, if we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your hymn books to hymn number 594. Hymn 594, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths it flows, may my richer fuller be. Let's stand and sing to God, hymn number 594.